What a day, what a day, what a day. My name is Ryan Hansen. Thank you for joining me on this episode of EQ Book Club. I'm really excited about today's episode because we get to pull together some of my favorite concepts from previous episodes in some really cool ways. My guest today is Miriam Swords Kalk, sister of our guest from episode six, Sam Kalk, which brings us into one of those topics that I was mentioning a second ago, which is self-determination theory, like we talked about with Sam, but in the context of education, which we have also discussed a lot on this podcast with a lot of guests like episode 14 with Coach Rudy, but more exciting than that is that we get to chat about it in the context of human-centered design, like with Ricardo Martins from episode 13. All this is to say I'm just very excited uh, for the culmination of this information and to talk to Miriam. Miriam, thank you for joining me today. So glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Really excited. Absolutely. I wanted to first contextualize this conversation for the audience by reading a quote. And I will just go ahead and jump right into that. Um, this is from Dr. Richard M. Ryan, president of the Center for Self-Determination Theory, um, writer of, or one of the co-writers of the SDT book that Sam pitched on the podcast in episode six. Mm-hmm. Um, the quote is, the challenges for new majority learners go beyond the pedagogy and concern the real world barriers and practical issues people face in trying to change their lives for the better. I really wanted to read this because it's talking about the practical issues that prevent people from pursuing further education, uh, in my understanding of this quote, in the context of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? And could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it is accurate. And there's there's so much to dig into here. Um, you know, this quote is is something that, that Rich wrote about um, a paper that I worked on at the organization that um, that I'm at right now, the Education Design Lab, and you know I think in in the quote he's really pointing to, like you said, Ryan, you know, a lot of the structural barriers that exist, and you know, other practical barriers as well that exist um, for all different kinds of people of different walks of life. In like you mentioned, pursuing further education or even different workforce opportunities in some cases um, that might benefit them when they think about their lives, bigger picture, their goals, their values, um, and kind of the futures that they want to create for themselves. Um, this is really, I think this quote really gets at like what all of, all of my work and what all the work that we, that we do at the lab is about, um, which is thinking about how can we, and how, how do we need to, um, redesign education and the workforce, frankly, to actually reflect the needs, the goals, the priorities, the lives of of, of working people today, and in particular, you know, putting at the center of that process um, and directly involving in that process people who have been historically excluded from or, you know, not not the focus of higher ed. So, yeah, I think I think this is quite the quote to, to start things off with today, that's for sure. We have been brought together by Sam, but also through the lens of self-determination theory. And, mm-hmm. you know, he taught me an appreciation for it, and I know that Y'all have kind of grown together with this appreciation for SCT. So tell me a little bit more about how that plays a role in whether it's the work you do always or this particular piece of work that you're working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at, at the lab, one of the things that I've been focusing a lot of my work on and that we as an organization have 
move toward doing is thinking about how we can infuse our whole human-centered design approach with insights from self-determination theory so that as we are working with the different learner populations and you know other stakeholders and communities as well, we can really consider their experiences in a holistic manner that is going to better enable us and the teams we're working with to design the systems we're trying to reimagine to really strongly support learners, especially those from historically underinvested backgrounds, you know, their sense of autonomy, competence, and relatedness. We know, of course, through thousands of research studies um, in the in the SDT world that supporting those three basic psychological needs, you know, in terms of the education context can lead to really excellent outcomes in terms of persistence, learner engagement, academic performance, success in reaching your personal goals, and just overall well-being, whether it's while you're in school or just in your life in your life more broadly and long term. So we've, yeah, we've, we've done, <laughs> we've, we've tried to approach this thing, you know, this, this fusion of SDT and human-centered design on a ton of different levels. A lot of it comes in just infusing all the different design tools and sort of the vocabulary and like overall perspective that we are trying to instill in the partners we're working with to help people always be thinking kind of at every moment throughout our design process about autonomy, competence, and relatedness. And really, so much of our work at the lab in our work with partners does involve helping folks pivot the way that they approach challenges that they're facing, you know, at their institutions and in their communities to, again, put learners at the center of the way that they're thinking about these problems. So as we're making that pivot and that sort of shift to focusing on learners, we also want to emphasize focus on learners. And in particular, when you're thinking about their experiences, focus on autonomy, competence, and relatedness. What are the questions that you may be kind of the bigger questions that you may be influencing the education systems that you're working with to start asking uh, about the students or community uh, that they're in to to uh, like connect to SDT. Yeah, that's a really good question. And a lot of a lot of my work has over the last couple of years really focused on exactly that, right? Figuring mm. out how can we help these concepts that may at first feel sort of nebulous and lofty, really resonate exactly. intuitively and readily for folks. Um, right. One thing we've done at the lab, actually, is we don't use the words competence, autonomy, and relatedness with our partners. That was sort of a tough decision to make, but um, instead, we we figured out, you know, through sort of uh, prototyping, I guess you could say, um, and testing a few different options, we figured out that instead of competence, we use the word growth. Instead of relatedness, we use the word belonging. And instead of autonomy, we talk about agency. And those three words, you know, I think especially when, you know, our audience who, who I work mostly with is educators, right? And folks in the workforce. Um, so we were, we were thinking about in, in particular in the context we're working in, what are the most important aspects of these, of these pretty complex constructs, right? Of a competence and autonomy and relatedness that we wanted to make sure we were emphasizing most with them. Um, when I thought about competence, we really wanted to direct folks' focus to be on how are the environments we're designing, preparing, you know, allowing learners to grow in the ways that feel meaningful for them, and how can they see that growth and that progress happening, that that sense of self-efficacy and growth combined. When I thought about you know autonomy in the education context, a lot of it really is about learner agency, and that's actually a phrase that's used pretty frequently in education. I, as someone who has not heard that phrase before, please uh, give us a little tidbit of what that means. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so, so yeah, agency, agency in a, a learning context is really about being able to make meaningful choices about the learning experience that, that you are undergoing. So feeling like you are 
an active player, like you are in the driver's seat as part of your learning experience. So instead of me just having a deadline or a very specific project or a school schedule handed down to me from on high, I get to be the active driver behind these important decisions that determine what my learning is going to look like. And a huge question that that is a major focus in my work, how can I combine that learning with all of the other things I have going on in my life? Again, if we think about the single mom's context, agency is is a really, really, really important thing when we consider those questions of, or it's really, it's what we're getting at when we think about how can we design learning environments that are going to allow a single mom to be present for her kids in the way that she wants to, knowing that they are and should be because she's a mom, her number one priority in her life. That's the thing that we heard um, over and over and over again from single mother learners was, I care about school in my future. And also my kids are the thing that I care about the most in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. So figuring out ways that we can design learning environments so that learners can make those choices that are going to allow them to structure school in a way that's going to fit in with everything else they have going on. And in cases when we maybe can't give them a choice about everything, how can you show that the environment that they're in actually does align to their goals and their priorities and, and what's important to them? So I feel like agency is really about a combination of that sort of optionality and buy-in into the environment that you're in. And then, yeah, instead of relatedness, we, we talk about belonging, which I think is the thing that that across you know the, the hundreds of people we've now discussed and, and worked on this with uh, resonates generally pretty intuitively and immediately for educators. Absolutely. Sorry to interrupt, but no, you're good. what is, I mean, understandably in the design practice, you want to use the words that uh, you're going to keep testing these things over and over so that you can use the words that work for the people who you are working for, right? How did it sh- make the shift from relatedness to belonging, which to me, you know, and why was that not community? I, I feel like all mm-hmm. three are very, are so very similar. You know, how did, how did you land on that yeah that's that's a really good question i to me belonging ended up feeling like the most important aspect of relatedness to emphasize largely because of the you know equity orientation that we have in our work and that is such such an important value you know for me personally for our organization for our partners and when we talk about belonging we're, we're really talking about how the environments that people are in embrace them as their authentic selves you mm-hmm. know how how can we design environments and, and learning experiences that help learners feel truly at home and like they can f- fully comfortable and safe in, in being who they are? Let me ask it, you know, tell me if this might be in- incorrect, but to me, it sounds like maybe community would be, you know, my listeners won't be able to visualize this, yeah. uh, but I'm going to try my best. Mm-hmm. You know, community might be, you know, you have a community here. And then you have a different community here and you have a different community here. And yeah, you're trying to build a community at this institution where there is a community around there, but you're trying to pull from all these other communities, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. While belonging may be more just anti-exclusion where you're not really trying to fully build this entirely new community but you're intentionally not leaving anybody out or you're you're doing better at bringing people in. Yeah, I mean I think that's that's a really good point. You know, yeah, inclusion is is a huge you know, designing inclusive environments is really one of the main outcomes that we want to get to through designing in a belonging oriented way. And to your point, you know, I think a thing that we have to do when we're doing human-centered design work is like you said, 
acknowledge and appreciate and directly work with all the different intersecting communities that are in existence in the ecosystem that we are popping into, right? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, my organization, for example, cannot, it cannot be our designs that are being brought to life, right? Our job is to facilitate a process through which all of these different interlocking communities that are present at this institution and in this, you know, region more broadly that we're working with to give them a space to come together and guide them toward, you know, the vision for that future that they want to get to, right? So acknowledging who those different communities are and considering how each of them can play a role in fostering that sense of belonging for learners is really, really important. While it's on my mind, before we get to the next one, are y'all designing uh, any canvases or other structural things? I mean, obviously you are internally, but for use for just the random university or school system or district or whatever, they just need a little, you know, maybe they think they just need a little bit of help. Obviously, they probably need a lot more help than they think. But to just, you know, get that conversation started, are y'all designing anything for, for those kinds of future learners? Yeah, you know, I think one of the focuses for us in our work is we we tend at the lab to work in a pretty intimate long-term way with each of our partners. But the goal of that is to produce models and to publish and talk about those models in ways that will allow them to potentially be scaled to other locations, acknowledging that every context and community is different. And it's a really important process to go through, like looking at what model works in one place and then thinking about for us to communicate in conjunction with our partners, why did it work there? Why did they design it the way that they did? What did they learn about their community that preceded, you know, them coming up with this idea in the first place? And then what were the key factors that ended up leading to a successful implementation of this vision? Talking about all of that and sort of the whole picture, I think is an important job that we have to make sure that, you know, these prototypes and pilots that we are putting out in the world for other people to consider and be inspired by and consider, you know, how they might implement them in their context um, to, to make that possible, to give people the information they need to, to potentially do that. So, yeah, I mean, we are we're every day working on publishing our work in a more effective manner so that people, yeah, at different, and it's, you know, it's beyond education institutions too, right? We do work oh, directly with nonprofits, with um, workforce organizations, with employers. So I think there's there's sort of this continuum from like education to the workforce that, that you know, that middle ground between school and work is becoming, you know, more and more kind of blurred and full of really, really interesting learning and work models. So that's, that's very much a space that we want to keep playing in. Sweet. Love that. I, for one, as somebody who works at a summer camp, pray regularly, can Mm -hmm. see many, (laughs) many benefits there and kind of personally just think about it often. Uh, That's why I was really excited to talk to you because I think about this stuff in the context of my summer camp, Mm -hmm. um, as well as my schooling. Uh, or the schooling I used to have, and and I see the the opportunities that exist here, and they're really cool. Let's get to growth. Is and I can cut this out if it's not. Is it okay for me to share the the walk the walk in yeah. my shoes paper? Awesome. Oh, absolutely! Please, please. Cool. Then I'll leave this that. in. Everyone's hearing this right now. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, Read it. Please and share. I'm going to share that paper. I will put it in a Google Drive and share a link uh, in the podcast episode so that anybody can take a read. I think it is such a fantastic paper. Uh, Miriam was the author of it. And it was just so interesting to kind of recontextualize 
how education can look. Um, and while it is about these single mothers for the most part, it gives a lot of really interesting insight into how things could change for the better for anybody um, if we just took a little bit more time to look at how these systems work. And the coolest thing about it is that it's not crazy. You know, it's not like really difficult to make those things happen that, that are in it. And I think that's really cool because we always think of, you know, these systems being so old and so difficult to change. And they are unless we're intentional about it, mm-hmm. you know, I th- and there are people like Miriam doing the work in the education design lab doing this work that are making it a lot easier to do this intentional work that isn't as hard as we think it is in our heads uh, mm-hmm. until we really think it through, um, which they're doing for us, which is really exciting and making it easier for us to do the same. So let's continue moving on to growth. Uh, let's, let's talk about that third pillar. I think it's, you know, when I think back to even my own experience as a student, I think that it was really hard for me to see and understand the ways that I was growing. And I think in a lot of educational contexts, whether it's in K-12 or in higher ed, we don't give learners a lot of room to really talk about their goals in a more, and sort of just their hopes for the future for themselves and, you know, the impact that they want to have on the world beyond just them. I feel like there's, there aren't necessarily always many opportunities to, where we're encouraged to really like think big in that way. And in particular, there aren't many opportunities to connect what you're doing today at school with that vision for your future or to make choices about what today in your learning environment could look like for you to align them better with that future that you, that you mm-hmm. dream of for yourself. So I think the focus on this engagement driver or psychological, basic psychological need of growth really, really go back to that to some extent. I think there's, there's some interesting overlap between growth and agency when we think about learners' goals, but a lot of kind of commonality in terms of the things that that we want to think about redesigning in terms of those two different engagement drivers. But in terms of growth, that, you know, for one thing, being given given the space and the opportunity to think about your future, think about where you want to head, and be given the kind of feedback from your teachers, from learning systems, from, you know, software, whatever, peers, anybody that's going to show you, here's how you learn, here's what you learned today. Here's how you grew today. Here's how that's relevant to the direction that you want to head. That's something that happens so infrequently. You know, a big focus of a lot of educators more and more, and a big focus certainly throughout a lot of my work has been on how can we increase opportunities for formative assessment and formative feedback. So, you know, early frequent feedback that people are getting to inform how they can keep learning rather than just like you take a test, you get a grade, that's it. You never look at that material again. You got a 72 that's your final grade, you're done. You know, that <laughs> there's not a path forward from there. There's no focus in that grade on like your learning that happened. Right. There's no useful feedback that comes from the 72 number, right? So when we think about the engagement driver of growth. To your point before, there's so many, you know, low lift things that educators and education systems can do to rethink the way that assessment works, the way that we're giving learners feedback and showing them how they're learning that can really um, much better support you know, this, this like really important engagement driver of growth. So, um, I'm really excited about the possibilities there for me, having worked on online education for so long, I think there's a lot of, it's not that there are only like 
tech-enabled or technology-oriented solutions related to these kinds of feedback process processes. And also, there are some really interesting possibilities that are opened up through, um, yeah, through online learning or other tech-enabled learning in terms of that. Yeah, I think you know I keep bringing this back to summer camp because that's mm-hmm. the that's the context that I know, but. I think about growth all the time as Mm -hmm. the most important driver for retention uh, of our staff. Um, When people can see physically or emotionally or, you know, mentally, if they can see that the growth that they have been gaining day over day, week over week, month over month, summer over summer, whatever it is, it really drives somebody to return, I think, more, you know, I, I guess I'll just get into all of it, but there's autonomy <laughs> mm-hmm. in being able to complete the duties of being a camp counselor or a unit head or whatever your job on camp is. Uh, when you feel like you have the skills to do it, that's very exciting. Mm-hmm. And then there's the reason that we all came to camp in the first place, which is community. And that we think about as the biggest driver and I think it probably is but I like to challenge that because I continue to return as my friends do not and I make new friends you know I build new community but it's not as much as what I grew up with or you know I have bigger communities elsewhere that I could be with it is the challenge every year the the opportunity for growth that drives me to return every year and I think that is because I get to see it. I know what it is. And that comes from my own training of training myself in being able to see these things. Mm -hmm. So when we're able to help others see that growth and really contextualize where they were to where they are, it just does absolute wonders. I, I think for retention of staff in any context, but especially here and, especially in education, like, uh, you know, I'm saying retention of staff, but in that case, it's retention of students or whatever else. But yeah, I just wanted to contextualize that in a different way uh, for anybody that's listening to kind of get another thought process on that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think just like you said, I'm sure, you know, as has been mentioned on this podcast before, you know, I think the power of self-determination theory is that you can apply it in literally any context, literally right? Everywhere. So <laughs> everything, you know, we're talking about growth, agency, belonging, competence, autonomy, relatedness. I, I think about that every day in terms of learners, but actually, I, you know, I also in my job think about that in terms of faculty and staff experiences at schools, right? You know, thinking just like you were saying about how can we, yeah, improve, improve their retention, improve their experience working at this institution. And there's so much value. Well, we also actually at the lab use the framework to think about our internal staff experiences, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, and as, you know, in, in internal culture conversations and things like that. So totally, I think there's so much value um, as we think about, and again, from that education to workforce continuum concept, right? It's like the more closely interlinked those two spaces are, the more we really do need to apply um, or the more we can see the value in applying the framework um, in both of them. So I think too, you know, to your, your point about sort of that sense of self-efficacy, I think, you know, what you were just saying is is making me think about mindfulness and, right, it, it's interesting, so much of my job focuses on systems redesign, right? Mm-hmm. And I think when we think about 
learner engagement, learner motivation, or again, motivation and engagement in the workplace or any other context, it is really important to think about systemic inequities and injustices and how systems need to be redesigned to better support the people who are in them today and the people who could be in them in the future. And, you know, they also need to be designed in a way that's responsive to those particular people. We know there's actually a whole sort of sphere of self-determination theory research directly related to mindfulness. And um, it's interesting just thinking about how are someone's experiences of growth, belonging, and agency, how might they be different in different contexts depending on their experiences with mindfulness and their practices around that. Um, Yeah, there's some really interesting research just in terms of, you know, certainly cognitive functioning and emotional, emotional intelligence and, um, you know, just relationship with yourself and how those can, um, can impact your experiences with these engagement drivers. Yeah, I think to, you know, bring a little bit more clarity to that, just, and I haven't read any of this research that you're talking about, but my assumption is that maybe the more you have the ability to be mindful and aware of yourself, you are able to connect those dots of, Mm -hmm. oh, this is what I'm good at. Oh, this is where my community is. Oh, Mm -hmm. this is where a challenge has found me and I get to, you know, do this thing again that Mm -hmm. I am now striving for because at first it was just like something that, oh, I realized I could do. Now I want to do it better. And the more that we can help people understand those things and connect those dots, they're going to be more open and interested in whatever the context is that they're being challenged in or uh, we're trying to get them challenged in, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, like you said, the just sort of opportunities for self-reflections that people are more aware of and can articulate, you know, again, their goals and their hopes for the future and also, you know, boost their resilience and their the ways that they navigate through the systems that they are a part of. I think those all can can come from, from mindfulness <laughs> practices and, and be really beneficial. Absolutely. Well, we are running out of time. So do you have one to three book recommendations for us? I do. You look Hard excited. to pick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love these books. So I'm, yeah, I, I know there's some overlap from things people have said on here before. That's but, perfect. Um, we love that. Yeah, my book recommendations, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Eva Max Kendi. Great. Mindset by Carol Dweck. Yes. Um, I think your brother also suggested that one. (laughs) Um, The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. Oh, I just recently heard about that one. Mm. Very exciting. You got to get in there. Got to get in there. (laughs) That's three. I'm tapped out, so. Well, if you, I, if you, it looks like you might want to give one more. If you want to, go for it. Well, this this is maybe niche, and maybe for me as an educator, this is this is well, cool. the, for particular interest to me. But there's a book called Make It Stick that um, is written by yeah some folks who who work on learning science, and I think it's just a really great general reader friendly look into how learning actually works, mm-hmm. what's actually happening in the brain to facilitate high quality learning. I feel like even just for like us as humans trying to like navigate the world <laughs> and um you know yeah keep keep growing as 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 people in all different parts of our lives it can be a really powerful tool set to to think about how we can restructure some of the stuff that we're doing day to day to to better work toward the things that we want to the ways that we want to keep growing and changing awesome uh thank you i'm glad we got that fourth suggestion because there are a bunch of educators who listen to this so awesome. that's very exciting as always, folks, you can find these suggestions, prior episodes, recommendations, and a list of my five-star favorites at bookshop.org shop eq. Please use this link to support the podcast and shop local. 
If you listen to the podcast and you want to be a part of the book club, uh, it is a new month and there is a new book. Go to agsage.com. That is A-G-S-A-G-E.com to check out the book club uh, and you can join it just to support the podcast or you can engage with us in the book club. Uh, We'd be excited to have you. Um, There's a possibility for any of these books to pop up in the book club at any given time. As per usual, if anything in this episode clicked with you, let me know. I'm always curious if you uh, think you have some work to do in understanding yourself and what drives those internal systems of yours uh, and any of those three points of self-determination theory we were talking about and what intrinsically motivates you. I love working with people on all that. Go to my website at agsage.com, as I said, A-G-S-A-G-E.com, or click the Work With Ryan button in the link in my Instagram at at EQBookClub. It will take you to schedule a call with me where we will chat about what is going on in your life and see if we will be a good partnership. It's non-committal. I won't even talk about money. Like, don't even, it's seriously not a stressful thing at all pure curiosity about what's going on in your life and how I can help. Just want to see if I can help and if I can't I will try to send you the direction of someone or something that will. It is a great day for a day y'all. I love you. Goodbye.